Hello, friends. You know, I've been saying for a very long time that I was going to write a book or start a podcast about the, in my opinion, it's domestic violence that occurred in my marriage. Um, But it's like more on the level of emotional terrorism and financial terrorism. But it's been going on for 10 years. And I feel like if I had known any of the things that I'm about to tell you guys before I filed, I would have been able to hedge this off much earlier. This is the stuff that movies are made out of, and I'm not even kidding, to believe that my ex-husband was capable of the things that he did and continues to do. I, I just, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me. Um, I wouldn't believe myself if I went back in time that this person was this psychotic, this sociopathic, and this evil to want to cause this much pain to someone else over simply just being wrong. Um, Trying to hold back the tears because it's really hard for me. Um, The emotional fallout, the financial ruin that has come from this man, I can't even put into words. So... It's been very difficult for me to write it down in the form of a book. And let's be honest, how many of us are actually reading anymore? It's really sad and pathetic, but it's true. None of us are really reading anymore. But today I've absolutely had it. I reached my pinnacle today. And I'm going to share with you my story in the hope that it helps somebody else like me. And it raises awareness that this kind of thing happens. It's a real thing. There are people like this on the planet that we don't often hear about because they are what I call chameleons and the master of disguise. Truly, they are emotional chameleons. You can't pick them out because they seem to be a different person from day to day, year to year, month to month, whatever it might be in your situation. That being said, I think I should start by saying I'm not going to use names in this podcast. Maybe, I don't know. Right now, I'm not going to. Because I think the essence of the story is more important than names. But the story starts like this. I met him. I'll refer to him as him when I was 19 years old. And, you know, when we're all 19, we think we know stuff, right? Like, we think we got it figured out. We think we have answers to everything. We think we're invincible. And it's not until we're much older that we figure out that we're dumb at this age. But when I was 19, I was in college, and I had struggled really, really hard uh, my first semester, my first year, really. It was very difficult for me. Um, School had always been easy, I didn't have to study very hard to get anywhere. Um, I was just, you know, pretty, just a pretty good student. So I didn't, I didn't really struggle in too many subjects. Um, but college was a different thing. You know, I, I took a very heavy caseload because that's what I did in high school or not a caseload, a very heavy class load. Cause that's what I did in high school and was successful. Why not college? Well, I didn't understand what I was getting into and it really hurt me the first year. So 
I came back home from the school I was at and I told my dad, listen, I know I cost you money. I know I lost my scholarships because my grades suck. How about I go to community college and I work full time and I pay for my tuition and, you know, and I work on it, which is my dad was actually happy to hear that that was my plan and he endorsed me to do that. So I worked full time as a makeup artist and I went to college. And so when I met him, um, I was very young. I was 19. Um, this is the height of the Iraq war, by the way, this is like 2008, 2006. No, this is like 2006, 2007. This is a long time ago. Um, and you know, everybody in my age group was serving, dating someone who served or whatever. I mean, we were all kind of involved in this weird, like junket of time where it was very normal for your girlfriend to be dating some dude that was gone like most of the time. So there was a little bit of like, I don't want to say romanticism because it really wasn't, but, um, it was normal. I'll say that it was just a very normal, um, normal situation to be in. So when he asked me out originally, I told him no, because I had watched my girlfriends date, you know, soldiers and I was not interested in their struggle. (laughs) And I had goals and, you know, I was a pre-law major and I just, I had every intention of going to law or going to law school and not having a family. I just wanted to be a career lady, had no intention of wanting kids, like none of that. So I didn't think that my life goals, you know, jived with this person who was like serving and leaving all the time. Um, but you know, he sweet talked to me for a while and, um, convinced me to go ahead and go out with him. And I did against my better judgment and it was a horrible date, but Hey, sure. Why not? And we ended up dating for a while and things were okay. Um, and then he deployed and, and he went overseas. And I think that, you know, I cared enough at that point to stay with him during that deployment, which I think actually made the feelings I had stronger. Otherwise I think had I not done that, um, it would have fizzled out. So fast forward the dating life about a year and I had moved into an apartment and he was going to be coming home with every intention after this first deployment of living with me. Um, and this of course pissed off my parents, but you know, what, what can you do when you're, when your 20 year old kid tells you what they're going to do? Right. Um, so right before he came home to move in with me, um, he told me that I needed to go to the court and file paperwork for him. Now I knew that he had been divorced, but what he told me was that they were in high school, they were kids, they got married after high school and then decided that, you know, it wasn't a good thing. A lot of people do that. Um, especially in this particular clasp of time, I feel like a lot of people did this. So I was like willing to forgive him for that and be like, okay, whatever. Well, what he told me was that they were already divorced. Turns out by the time he makes this request, they never were divorced. I was actually filing divorce papers for him. Now, all of you on here are probably like red flag girl run, but I didn't, I didn't, I was stupid and I believed him and I believed the lie and the manipulation that the reason why he didn't file was because 
they've been separated for over a year and he just wanted extra money to help me out with school and whatever else. Trust me, y'all. I know I was stupid. Um, so I believed it, right? Um, then fast forward some more to us being married and, um, him really wanting to have kids. And I just was not there. I just was not there. I just did not want that in my life. It was not a goal that I had to be a mom. It just, you know, for some little girls, that's just what they want to do. And for me, it wasn't, it just never was. Um, but he harped on me about it for like two years. And finally I I came and I said, okay, well, if we're going to do that, then all right, let's embrace it. Let's do that. So I end up pregnant in 2011 and he was with me like home, not deployed for most of that pregnancy, went to one doctor's appointment. And other than, other than finding out that we were having a boy, he really didn't care much about what was going on or me or how I felt or any of that. Um, now this being my first rodeo at the time, I didn't really know like what my expectations should have been. You know, you, you have an idea in your mind, but the analytic brain that I have says, you know, well, those are just ideal, ideal situations. That's not reality. Of course, he's not going to be here, you know, waiting on your hand and foot. That's not realistic, right? Like that's not, that's not what people do. So I gave him, I made excuses for his disconnect, um, and his lack of interest in me. And, um, when it came time for my son to actually be born, um, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning with contractions right on my due date. And I woke him up and I said, Hey, you know, it's time we need to go. And he said, um, no, I'm not ready to leave yet. Like, let's just wait a few more hours and then we'll go. Which no, we're not doing that. I got up, I got my bag. His mom was with us and she ended up waking him up and making him take me. Right. So we go to the hospital. I, I'm like right on the cusp of being admitted. I'm just, I'm just below what I need to be as far as dilation to be admitted. So they told me, well, why don't you go walk around, go eat breakfast? Well, I don't know about any of you women, but like I was that girl. I am not eating when I'm in this much pain. Y'all just need to stop and give me the drugs before I punch you. I am not interested in eating. I am not interested in Lamaze. I'm not interested in breathing. I'm interested in being doped up so I can be happy. (laughs) That was me. I was that girl. (laughs) And I still am to this day. Like, I am not interested. Do not sit here and natural this and natural that. Good for you. Awesome. You are a badder bitch than me, but I needed the drugs. I needed the drugs. So... Um, we're sitting there, um, his family, my, my family, and they're all eating breakfast and I am just miserable because I'm in pain. Like I'm in pain. I'm, I've at this point, I've been in labor for four hours. It's very strong. My contractions, I'm very upset that nobody really seems to give a shit and no one's listening to me. Um, this is military healthcare, by the way, for anybody who wants to know government healthcare sucks. Um, so no one's listening to me. I'm, I'm advocating for myself that I'm in a lot of pain and I need someone to check me out cause it's just not normal. And, um, they don't listen. So he starts making fun of me while we're sitting there because when I was pregnant, the smell of eggs made me feel sick to this day. I can't, if you're cooking eggs, don't do them when I'm in the vicinity. I'll eat them, but I can't smell it. 
I can't. It just makes me want to be sick. Um, I had a lot of food aversions in this pregnancy with my son. A lot. Um, so he was teasing me. He was, like, putting the eggs in front of me and, like, oh, don't you wish you could eat? And da, da, da. Like, just being a total jerk. And nobody said anything, which, again, red flag. Um, but eventually I was admitted upstairs in the hospital and, um, the doctor came in, everything was normal. My pregnancy was normal. Um, delivery was really, really difficult for my body. I labored with my son for a full 24 hours. I pushed him for over an hour. And when he was born, he was perfect. He was awesome. There was nothing wrong with him. Um, everything was great. Um, but when they removed my epidural, um, I felt pressure. And so I went to the bathroom and I don't know because I was drugged, but according to the medical records and according to my mom who was there, I was in the bathroom for, um, three hours, just under three hours. I think she said it was, I went in the bathroom at like three twenty, and, um, I was in there until just, just before six and they came in and they said, Hey, you know, my mom came in and she knocked on the door and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. I feel like I need to go to the bathroom, but I just can't. And she said, well, you haven't eaten anything. That doesn't make any sense. And I said, I know I'm just, I'm just here because I feel like I need to, and I don't, I need to have my dignity. I'm not going to do that in front of everybody, right? Like I'm, I, I want my dignity. I'm not going to do that in front of everybody. So she was like, okay. And my mom being, um, knowledgeable, I'll put it that way. Um, did not want to panic me, but went ahead and went out to the nurse's desk and said, Hey, I think my daughter is dealing with a clot and she's feeling the pressure from a clot. I think you guys need to check on her before you move her there, you need to check her for a, for a clot. And, um, the nurse totally ignored my mom, um, came in for shift change, put me in a wheelchair and took me over to recovery with my son. Um, so six o'clock is shift change and they dropped me off in my room and let me sleep. So then the day nurse comes in, um, at six, I think it was probably a little after six or maybe it was seven. I don't know. I was kind of in and out. And, um, but it was very early in the morning and she said, she woke me up and she said, Hey, you know, I'm just going to take your vitals really quick. Um, but then you can go back to sleep. I know that, you know, you, you're really tired. So she did that a little after seven or so. And then, um, I was asleep and at about nine, I heard my husband leave. And he said, um, Hey, you know, I'm going to go fill out my paperwork for leave. Um, I'll be back soon. Just get some rest, whatever it is that he said. So 10 o'clock comes around and Oh, by the way, he said he was going to his office, which was right next door to the hospital. Um, so yeah, there's that. Um, but you know, that was at nine, 10 o'clock comes 1030 comes and he didn't come back. And I wasn't too concerned because his mom had stayed with me. My parents left at seven after I was dropped into recovery because they had to take my dad. My mom had to drive my dad to the airport. Um, so at 1045, I sat up and I breastfed my son and I put him back down 
And I, I just started to feel very lightheaded. And I said, you know, I think I just really want to take a shower. Like, I, I don't know about y'all, but like that first shower after you have a baby is like glorious. I can't even put it into words how glorious it is. So I really wanted to take a shower. I put him down and, um, I sat up and I swung my legs over the side of my bed and I just felt this like rush of fluid and I looked down and from my waist down, I was soaked in blood and it was dripping off my bed. And my former mother-in-law was there and she was like, oh my God, push your call button. So I pushed the call button and of course, government healthcare, my call button doesn't work. So then she goes out to the nurse's desk because I was fortunate enough to be right across from it. And she grabbed the nurse and said, you need to come check you know, I think we have a hemorrhage. And she said, no, it's probably just a small clot. It's not a big deal. Well, then she, she, she finally came into my room to check about five minutes after and said, oh my God, that's really bad. This is an emergency situation. This is terrible. And she starts going through the drawers of everything in my room and there's no IV, there's no supplies, there's nothing. And at this point I'm starting to panic because I know enough to know that my nurse is panicking. And she was like, lay down. We got to call the doctor. So she calls my doctor, who was the high-risk OB. Even though I was not a high-risk patient, he took me. And he was in a C-section, so he couldn't come help me. Um, There was nobody else available. And so they ended up calling two more nurses in to try and stabilize me. Couldn't get it done. They call down to the ER because they don't know what else to do. And they call a doctor up from the ER doctor from the ER comes up and, and he, you know, I've lost a lot of blood at this point. You guys like this, this is, I can't even tell you how much blood I've lost. It's bad because they couldn't get an IV in my arm. Um, they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't get it. My blood pressure was so low. Um, I remember going like coming in and out and the ER doctor was a really little guy. Like he was super tiny Um, I can't tell you what country he was from, but super sweet guy, really little, really little. And he, he got in a chair and he sat next to me and he said, okay, um, I have to give you Pitocin to try and start giving me, forcing your body to contract, to try and control this bleeding. It's going to hurt way more than natural labor. One, two. Um, I can't give you a painkiller because your, your heart rate's too low. And three, I have to physically go up there and get these clots out and make sure we don't have any more. Um, he's like, so let's just hope you pass out because this is, this is bad. I just want you to know this is bad. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's not bad. And, um, I had a nurse on each side of my arm trying to get IVs. Um, I can't tell you where they ended up sticking it. I think it was in my neck, but I'm not 100% on that. Um, but yeah, they definitely, it was bad. Um, I passed out. I know they pulled a few clots out of my body that were about the size of my son. Um, and my room was a complete horror show. So they stabilized me by about 12, 1230, almost one o'clock, I think. And it was hard for me to remember the time frame because I was, I was very clearly in and out, but it was a long time. So, um, when, you know, my, my husband at the time 
decided to finally come back to the hospital. Um, he took his sweet time, I'll tell you that, because he didn't come back until the afternoon. And right before he came back, they actually sent a chaplain into my room to pray with me because they thought I was going to die. Like, they thought I was going to die. The guy asked me if I was Catholic and, like, you know, like, they, they, like, they, they thought I was going to die. I mean, that's how bad this was. Um, and the doctor, I know I was under strict bed, bed rest orders after that. I was admitted to the hospital after that for an additional 10 to 10 to 14 days, depending on my condition. So, you know, normally you have a baby, you go home after 24 hours. They kept me for almost two weeks after this. Um, and, uh, when he did finally come in and I was devastated when they brought the chaplain in, I think that's when I finally realized how close to death I actually was. Um, I was devastated and, you know, they hadn't cleaned up my room, um, hours later when my husband came back. I mean, there were, my bloody gurney was still in the hallway. I had a new bed, but it was in the hallway and the like four or five, I want to say it was five, um, big biohazard bins were still in my room full of blood sheets, bloody tap, like everything. Um, (laughs) military healthcare. Anyway, um, he came in and he was told what happened and he sat down with me and he said, Oh yeah, you know, it's just a little, it's just a little hemorrhage. No big deal. It's like a period. And y'all for, for me to tell you that I was crushed, that that was his response is not even enough. I mean, I, I just, I was going to die. Do you know, like I was going to die. It is a miracle of God that I did not die. I lost so much blood. The doctor actually told me and told my mom when she came by later after this happened that they didn't have blood for me for a transfusion. I am B negative and they didn't have any possibilities for blood for me. And so they wanted to at least get me stable enough to transfer me somewhere else. And, um, by the time they did that, I was stable enough to be observed, but the entire time they were very worried that they were going to have to get me to another hospital because they didn't have any blood. So he basically brushes this entire incident off and he does to this day and says that I'm overdramatic and I'm crazy and it's not that bad. It's not terrible. Nothing happened like that, which is what narcissists do. They want to take an experience you have and totally make you feel stupid and tell you it never happened because it makes them feel better that they didn't have the appropriate response to begin with. Um, you know, and for years I held on to that resentment that it didn't register that I was going to die. And I married this person and I had a baby with this person and I gave up my career goals for this person and I did three deployments with this person and worried every day about their well-being and their, and their risk and their life. And, and I, I'm on death's door and it doesn't even matter. And, you know, um, that's, that was the first, another red flag, right? That I was dealing with someone who didn't care about me one bit, not one bit. Um, and then after that event, you know, when we went home and started raising my son, 
He never lifted a finger to help me, never changed a diaper, never got up in the middle of the night, but was really quick to judge me, criticize me, you know, pick on me about any little thing. You know, um, I cooked, I cleaned, I raised my kid. I decided to go back to school at the same time. You know, I took care of him, didn't have a job. Like I did everything a stay at home, good little mom and wife should do. And, um, it was never good enough. Everything was, nothing was ever enough. Um, and same thing, you know, uh, he deployed after my son was one. I decided that I wanted to improve my health and my life after my son was born. So I started a crazy workout thing. I started to really clean up my eating. I started to get my, my, um, my health in check because after an event like that, where you find out you're anemic and all these other things, like I just, life is so precious. I wanted to really take care of my health. Um, so I did that. And, uh, when he came home, he wasn't interested in me, not one bit at all, really at all, um, was not interested in our son at all. Um, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I thought maybe this person has PTSD, but he never had a job in the military where that would have been a a thing for him. Um, he never left his base. Like he never left the base. So, um, this is not a combat thing that he ever did. So, um, he likes to tell people that, but he never actually did. Um, so then, you know, uh, we get to about a year and a half after my son was born and I start getting weird messages, emails, texts, um, from a former friend of mine. And I hadn't talked to her in a really long time over other things before my son was born. Um, she actually was a, one of my best friends in high school. And, uh, when I was pregnant with my son, she was engaged to a really nice guy. I liked him a lot. It was great. Um, they got married. She got pregnant at first. They were very happy about it. And then she started calling my ex-husband a lot, or, you know, he was my husband at the time, but she started calling him a lot. And I told him, I said, it's really weird to me that she's my friend. She hasn't talked to me in a very long time. And yet she's texting and calling you. I said, don't you think that that's weird? I said, and she's pregnant. Did you know that? And he said, yeah, she told me before she told you. And I said, why would you do that? That's really weird. I think that's strange. Maybe you need to change your number. Cause if your friends were calling me like that, um, I would, I would think that you would want you would want to know because that's very strange behavior. Um, he brushed it off, called me crazy as he would do a lot. Um, and she called me and told me a few months later that, you know, her and her, uh, husband were getting a divorce and he's kicking her out. And I said, well, aren't you pregnant? She goes, yeah, he wants me out of the house. He's done with me. And I said, well, that's kind of weird. Why? And she goes, I don't know, but can I come stay on your couch for a few days just until I can get to my mom's house? And I said, sure, let her stay with me. Um, Then I got a phone call from her husband telling me that I need to pay closer attention to my husband. And I said, what are you talking about? And he went off on this crazy tangent that he saw them together, all this stuff. And, and I thought, um, I doubt it, but okay. So I confronted the two of them and they both told me like, oh no, you know, 
Um, they knew I was sleeping. She needed help with something. So he went over to help her. That's all that it was. Um, and I believed him because I was dumb. Um, and, uh, after my son was born, he was about two years old and, you know, husband decides that we need to have another baby. And I said, well, I don't know if I can because of the trauma from this one. They told me I would be high risk if I had another one. Um, and that that would be very dangerous for me. And frankly, y'all, he didn't care. Like he didn't care. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't care. He was like, we are not just having one kid. That's not how this is going to work. You know, kids that are by themselves are weird. He's not going to be an only weird child. That's not happening. Um, and he was absolutely serious about it. So we tried and tried and tried and tried because at this point I'm just trying to appease him. You know, like he controls the money. He controls everything. I don't have a say in crap. Um, I just want him to stop harassing me about it and stop nitpicking every little thing I do. And so I learned very quickly to just appease this person. Um, because things would get very aggressive in our house if I disagreed with him on something. Um, he would yell, he would, um, into physically intimidate me. Um, it was bad. So, or, or, um, he would take it out on me sexually. So if I disagreed with him in some way and there was somebody around to hear it, um, if I challenged him on something, um, and there were people around to hear it, I would pay for it later in the bedroom in really awful ways. Um, this is a person who would order sex toys that would show up at my house that were literally the most ridiculous, outrageous things. And I would tell him like, no, please don't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't need that anywhere near me. And I would be forced. Well, if you love me, you would. And I can't believe you don't do this. You're so ungrateful. I do all this for you and you can't do this for me. How ungrateful are you? And he would just beat me over the head with that kind of thing until I lost who I was. And I was being physically punished in a sexual manner for challenging his authority, his compromised manhood as, as I know now, but anything that made him not the absolute authority dictator. Um, if I shed any light on that, I paid for it. Um, and so by the time he gets to the second baby fixation, I'm just trying to appease him because I don't want to be, I don't want to be for lack of a better word, tortured in my own marriage. Um, and everybody who knew me at the time will tell you, I was really good at hiding how painful this was. I mean, they didn't have a clue. Nobody knew. And he put on a facade of how great and wonderful he is. Um, he was really good at wearing that mask, just like Drew Peterson, Scott Peterson, everybody else that does right. Um, you, the mask to the public was one thing. The monster I knew behind closed doors was something completely different. And, um, no one would believe me. And I knew that and he knew that. And so that's why this was able to go on. Um, and so finally I did get pregnant with my second kiddo and, um, the doctors told me this is really high risk for you. This is dangerous. You need to be doing nothing. You need to be not lifting, not carrying around the toddler. You need to be very, very careful um, this, because of your bleed, this, you know, you could end up, this could kill you. Like you need to be very careful. And, um, I went home from that appointment, the very first one and told him what they said. And he laughed at me 
And he's like, why are you so dramatic? Nobody dies in childbirth anymore. You're so ridiculous. It wasn't that bad. Quit being dramatic. And I cried when he said that. And he was like, oh my God, here go the pregnancy hormones. There you go again. Like, (laughs) so I knew I was in a bad situation then. I knew. And it was like, what can I do? I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm seven years into this, you know, like, what can I do? So, um, I have my daughter. Thankfully, nothing went wrong with that labor and delivery. The only thing that went wrong there was she took forever to actually get to 10 centimeters. I labored with her for over 36 if I remember what the medical record said, it was well over 30 hours that I labored, labored with her. Um, and they were very concerned about her heart rate and being stuck in the birth canal. And if they wait too long, she's going to get stuck in there and then they can't see section. So, um, they were telling me that, you know, I had so much time and then they were going to go ahead and C-section her for her safety and for mine. Um, but then she went ahead like, in, in a matter of 20 minutes after that conversation, she was here. Um, so that went safely, thank God, but they did have a lot of precautions in place for me because of my bleed. Um, I was under a lot of watch. Um, they watched me like a hawk because my mom made them like, let's be real. My mom was barking up those nurses, butts like crazy every 10 minutes. She wanted to check. Someone had to check on me. Um, but after she was born, um, he really wanted nothing to do with her. Uh, he didn't hold her. He didn't want, and really, truly, honestly, either one of those kids, he didn't want anything to do with them when they were infants. Definitely did not help me with her. Um, especially did not help me with him and her. You know, if I was breastfeeding her, I had to somehow take care of Austin. And it got to a point where, um, it, it, that was my son's name. Oops. But anyway, um, it got to a point where, um, I ended up not being able to actually breastfeed my daughter because I just could not do that and watch my son at the same time. Uh, So it it just was crazy. It was completely crazy. And when she was about two months, three months old, he decided, yeah, I don't want to be in the army anymore. I want to move to Texas. I got us a job. Uh, I got a job for myself lined up. I want to move out there. I want to be close to my family, blah, blah, blah. So being the good wife that I am, I'm like, okie dokie, let's do that. And I, he decided to take a trip. And here's the funny part, right? He decides he wants to make this move and then he takes a last minute deployment. So he leaves me with a newborn, a toddler and a house to pack to move by myself, Um, (laughs) which was awesome. So I'm packing the house by myself and he's over in whatever stupid country he's in and I'm trying to, I'm trying to get over stuff and he comes back and he decides, okay, we're going to drive down to Texas with our stuff. We're going to leave the kids here and we're going to let the parents take care of them while we unpack the boxes and get everything ready to go. Now, mind you, I'm under the impression this man has a job and we're moving and everything's fine. We're, you know, that we don't have any gaps in money coming in. And sure enough, we get down to Texas. 
we rent a house, we move into the house, and on the way down there, we were in the middle of nowhere, Texas, like middle of nowhere, on the way down there, I'm driving, and he looks over at me and he says, I have something I need to confess to you, and I said, well, what? And he's like, well, now that we're alone and we're in the middle of Texas on this road trip, um, we've got another eight hours to go. I felt like it would be a good time to discuss our relationship. And I'm thinking this is weird. Like, this is weird. This is weird. This is weird. But he says, I want you to know that I've been cheating on you our entire marriage, our entire relationship, and I've been doing it with your best friend from high school. Also, when she called and said that she was pregnant with, um, with, uh, that guy that she was married to's kid, um, he's like, that was what, that was the reason why she stayed at our house. And that was why she called me because her and I had been having an affair. And I said, so you knocked her up? He goes, no, but you know, we were sleeping together. And he just said it really nonchalantly, like it wasn't a big deal. And then he went to sleep. I'll just let that sink in with you guys. He slept with her the whole time that we were married and decided to tell me about it after I moved my entire life away from my family, lock, stock, and barrel after I'm two kids deep. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty narcissistic, right? Pretty bad. Well, then we get to Texas and I'm, I think at this point I'm, I'm in shock and I can't function. And so I just go through the motions. I think I was so disconnected in this time period that I just went through the motions of my life. I can't, I can't tell you that I had any like independent true thought about anything because that confession was traumatizing. It, it just sent me into, into a, a shock mode. I don't even know how else to describe it. Um, and he left me in Texas from July to September. He had to come back to where we moved from to finish out his military time. The three or four months that he was here, he didn't see my family, talk to my family at all. My family brought my kids down soon after we moved, and it was just me and the kids down there alone with no one, with no one. And he was here doing whatever he wanted to do. Um... And when he finally did come back and move in with us in Texas a few months later, um, I got this, um, I, I just was bored one day and he said, well, I have a, I have a meeting or I have an interview and I said, okay, good luck. And he went to the interview, came back and said he didn't get the job and then told me that he had no job to begin with. And I was like, oh my God. I just couldn't believe we had no money and we had this house that we were renting and like another shocking revelation that there is no job that you told me you had when you came down here. Great. Um, and then 
he, you know, swore up and down to me when he confessed about the cheating that he would change. He wouldn't do that. We'll start over. All life will be new, blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't sleep one night and I got up and I got on Google, not knowing that it was signed into his account. And he had already left for the day because he had to go um, to the VA for something. And it was pretty far from the house we were renting. So he left early and I got up and um, as I'm putzing around on the internet, just killing time, I get these uh, messages in Google Hangouts from someone named Tony and he had a friend named Tony at the time and they're talking about me and they're talking about me in a sexual manner and they're talking about how you know I'm such a prude and I won't do certain things and how ugly my body is after having babies and um you know all this stuff and um then there's a request made for a certain act and this person says oh well you know I'll do that Now, I know this isn't Tony at this point because I know that my husband or at the time was not gay and neither is this person. Um, So I figure that this is a phone number with this other person's name on it to try and throw me off. And so I call the phone number. And um, as I'm dialing the the numbers, there's another message that says, hey, can you buy me a plane ticket and fly me out there so I can, you know, do this thing for you? And he responds with, absolutely, I'll get on that right away. Let me just finish up my appointment. Now, this is a time in our life, y'all, that we could hardly even afford formula. And this fool is buying, you know, he has no job, but he's going to buy this, this person a plane ticket. Mm-hmm. So um, I call the number and I know that voice because I knew it for many, many, many years. It was my former best friend. Same chick he confessed to sleeping with, and he's still talking to her, and he's still doing this. Um, And so I printed out the conversation. I was done. He came home. I told him I was done. He got really dramatic and begged me to stay. All this craziness. Um, And... I left. I called my mom. I was on the road driving and she's like, turn around, go back. I said, I can't stay one more day in that house. And she's like, right, but you're not going to drive an infant, a toddler and a dog home by yourself either. Turn around. I'll catch a red eye and I'll drive back with you. So that's what I did. And what happens after that, um, is even more shocking because I found out that um, as I was packing the car to leave, I found out that he had actually gotten her pregnant. And that's why she got divorced from that guy she was with. Because she didn't know who the baby belonged to. That's why she called him first. You know, this was the couple years before. That's why she called him. That's why her husband called me. And he actually took money that we needed at the time. Um to pay for her abortion. So he knocked up my former best friend while we were married and tried to cover it up. And then he was still seeing her. Um, So I'll let that be the end of this episode. Um, We will get further into it. And um, it gets worse, you guys. I wish I could say it gets better, but it gets a lot worse. So stay tuned.